Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. One great way to get corporate folks involved in the charity is to invite them to experience your work, volunteer. Everybody's always looking for volunteer uh, opportunities, um, but you have to have a real volunteer. You know, it can't be sort of stuffing envelopes. But if you're a real volunteer effort or something they can witness or experience, I think that's a great way to introduce people without immediately asking for money. So your nonprofit does important work. I know it. You know it. But does corporate America know it? You know there are companies who are anxious to illustrate good corporate citizenship. Maybe you're a local organization looking for local support or a national organization trying to tap into a national corporation. So what's the recipe? Do you ask a company to buy a table at an event? What's the strategy for securing year-round support? You know what you're looking for, but what's a business looking for when allocating dollars to nonprofits? For sponsorship. And what is sponsorship the right word? Are we talking about partnership? What are we going for here? I think I have a lot of questions. To help answer these, we're joined by Nancy Mann. Nancy is a mom with two great kids, and her other full-time job is as the Senior Vice President of Global Philanthropy and Corporate Citizenship at the Estee Lauder Companies. Big job. She's charged with the design and implementation of a global corporate citizenship program, including philanthropy, cost marketing, employee engagement across all Estee Lauder brands. She continues to be the Executive Director of the Mac AIDS Fund, so she wears both a corporate and a nonprofit hat. Mac Cosmetics is a longstanding supporter of the AIDS community and has done so in a remarkable way. In addition, Nancy's also been on the asking side during her long tenure as the executive director of God's Love We Deliver here in New York City. She's smart, funny, good friend. Uh, welcome, Nancy. Thanks for sharing your time with us today. You bet. Look forward to talking to you. Okay, so I want you... Uh, And this is not a diss to my listeners, but rather perhaps self-deprecating to me. Can you talk like a 10, like talk to me like I'm a 10 year old and explain your job to me? Um, well, I'm lucky enough to have an 11 year old and a, right. An 11 year old and a 14 year old. And sometimes the 11 year old is a lot more insightful than me. So, um, yes, that is true. So go ahead. Yeah. You know, essentially, um, What I do is help my company kind of be uh, an active and engaged, um, and we call it a corporate citizenship. But the bottom line is that over the last uh, 10 to 20 years, um, most companies have evolved to actually where family-owned companies always were. And they basically feel that giving back to the community and building the local community is kind of part of their job as a company. And I'm lucky enough, you know, um, Estee Lauder founded our company and her two sons in particular, Ronald Lauder and Leonard Lauder, helped grow the business. And more recently, um, William Lauder, uh, basically the third generation, William Lauder, Jane Lauder and Aaron Lauder have been super involved. But basically, Estee herself and the Lauders um, throughout the generations have always been super committed personally to giving. And it's meant that the company was super committed to giving. Now, that's true if you look at companies at Dell. A lot of family-owned companies are this way. Interesting. What it gets to be a challenge is, you know, I've only been here for 10 years, but we've gone from a $7 billion company to a $12 billion company. So, And what's you know, the challenge about from... that? I, I'm sorry. Is there a challenge in that? Sure. Well, the, the challenge is 
you know, the world is basically a, a, a collection of smaller communities, right? So, you know, in the old days, actually, my mom used to work for United Way. You had the United Way drive. You, they had to drive for a certain amount of money, and then there was a they worked the United Way, and they gave it to local charities. The, the era of, of the United Ways are really over, in my opinion. Yep. Um, and what we've moved a lot more towards is um, people within the company being drivers of issues and of change. Yes. At the same time, you know, at the end of the day, we're not, you know, I was lucky enough for, earlier in my career to work for George Soros at the Open Society Institute. Uh, and I've worked a lot in the aid field with, you know, Ford or Rockefeller. You know, we're not a private foundation. We're a publicly owned company and we have shareholders. So the big question is, how do you create value for the shareholders by basically creating sort of brand awareness and brand loyalty? And how do you at the same time do good in the world? And there's some great examples of Tom Shoes, right? They did the one for one. So the clearer you are and the, about the impact between purchase and giving is, is the clearer the better. And the clearer you are to the issue you're giving to and how it connects to your core business, the better. So what, what I love about this, mm-hmm. as somebody who spent a lot of time, I uh, was lucky enough to be the executive director of God's Love We Deliver. I worked with Prisoners Living with AIDS. I you know, worked with George Soros. What's really cool about this is if you look at the math, there is not enough private foundation money or enough bilateral government money to solve the world's problems. And at the same time, if we, and I know this from the AIDS work that we do, the Oftentimes, the way that nonprofits solve and governments solve for how to address a problem like AIDS is not the most efficient way to do it. And as a result, you're actually sort of wasting money, as it were. So what I think corporations bring to the table in terms of areas of giving, so we give in breast cancer, for instance, and in HIV, is we not only bring um, money, but we bring sort of problem-solving ability that's different than problem-solving ability in nonprofits. Okay, so I'm going to stop you. Um, and I want to make sure, because we have listeners who we have listeners who run larger organizations. I've also got listeners here who run a really small organization and would do the happy dance if the local Smashburger supported their organization. So it's a pretty mixed bag. Um, and um, uh, so bef- I want to hear about the origin story of the Mac AIDS Fund and like sort of why that's been successful as it relates to what you just said. But before you do that, can you explain to me? So there are philanthropic dollars that a corporation will will give to nonprofit organizations that comes out of presumably some kind of a philanthropic bucket. But then there's also money that comes out of marketing, which I assume is what you're calling cause marketing. Can you differentiate global philanthropy or philanthropy from cause marketing dollars? Well, not really. Cause, um, let me try and unpack it. I think basically just generally the fields of marketing and what would be called press or global communications are collapsing, right? That generally those fields, it's all about storytelling, content, um, and uh, I think targeting and listening to your consumer. So in terms of the giving that we do, we don't separate it out. We don't give from a marketing budget. We give from a philanthropy budget. And we basically um, mostly take tax deductions. But that's not, but that isn't true of, I mean, in, in many, many situations, nonprofits are approaching corporations that are using marketing dollars and expect something quite tangible in return. Isn't that true? I think so. I mean, those tend to be, um, you know, basically the Mackey Fund was founded before cause marketing started, honestly. 
So basically, there were there were two guys who founded Night Cosmetics as a color cosmetic company. It was founded in Toronto by two Frank and Frank Angelo and Frank Toskin, who were life partners, and their friends were dying of AIDS. And so they basically created this uh, makeup company. It was a word of mouth company with interestingly no marketing, um, and basically it was backstage the quality of backstage makeup made available for the everyday woman, basically. And it took off because it was great stuff. Um, and the price point was right because they weren't taking a whole bunch of money into marketing. Very soon into about two or four years after they founded the company, around 20 years ago, they basically launched what they called the, the Viva Glam Techno Tour. And that was with RuPaul, which was brilliant. Yep. They basically picked a drag queen you know, three decades ago. And they basically, what was great was they used a sort of a sexy, playful, fun way of raising money for what's a pretty heavy topic. And they gave 100% of the selling price of the lipstick to the foundation. So, and that's still true today. So when I got here, we raised, 10 years ago, we raised $12 million a year. We now raise about $48 million a year. And the, and the difference, the growth in that, and the growth in that, in your model is coming from uh, revenue growth at Estee, correct? Uh, the, the, the growth in that is coming from the growth in actual Viva Glam sales. And the growth of Viva Glam sales has actually outpaced the growth of the market. So what we find, and Carol Cohn has done a bunch of work around this, Edelman has done a bunch of work on this, and basically the, the job descriptions for companies have changed, right? Customers care that you care. And customers care if you don't care. And part of building, I think, resilient, um, grounded companies also includes giving. And what a lot of us have done is also take a look at, and this is where the fun part is, how can you basically grow the business and also grow the good by raising more money? And if you connect it to a product, you can do that. So that was part of the idea of the Red Campaign, although the Red Campaign was a licensing thing where basically like the Gap paid Red a certain amount of money to use the Red moniker and then launched a line. But in terms of um, nonprofits looking to raise money for from companies, I think the um, you know I learned this the hard way when I was a lot younger is the best grant proposal or the most compelling case in your mind is often not what is going to be funded by the company. So I want you. So I'm going to stop you right there, Nancy, and I'm going to say, okay, now I want you to take off take off your Estee Lauder hat, which I bet is really, really nice. And I want to put on your executive director cap. So talk to me about that exact thing, whether you're asking for a small amount of money or a large amount of money. Um, you know, describe the, describe that, um, uh, disconnect between what the nonprofit's asking for and what the company is looking for. Well, basically, um, the, the company is looking or generally funds issues that are in some way related to who they sell their product to and what the sort of identity of the company is. So, and what we've seen really, I think, over the last, particularly over the last 10 years, but for a long time, I think it's actually been pretty cool that a lot of cosmetic companies, which one could see, see as sort of inane, have actually taken on super tough issues. So Ulta Beauty last year uh, announced an effort around date rape. Uh, Avon yep. has been doing work for many, many years around breast cancer and domestic violence. Completely. Uh, Philosophy, another great brand, uh, announced a, a program last year on women's mental health. It makes sense. What you're saying makes sense in the cosmetics industry, of course, because you're targeting women. But what if you're a 
you know, what if you're, uh, you know, a, a, an organization that has either a local or a regional presence, you know, like what are banks looking like? So I get the, I get the cosmetics industry, but then now take it out of the cosmetics industry and say, I'm, you know, I'm, gee, I'm a New Jersey based organization and there's investors bank, which is New Jersey's headquartered. How, how do I, how do I make that fit? Well, I don't think it's really through events. Just to go back to the other thing, the general trending in companies is we're cutting events. Um, they're generally, okay. nobody really generally wants to go to them because they're sort of pseudo work events. They're at night and they are generally not a very um, efficient way straight on to fundraise, right? So you have to pay basically, as one of my boss said, is we don't want to be underwriting the local hotel basically, which is often what you do to pay for the dinner so that the actual tax deduction bite at the end of the day is not really very great for the business. And the the nonprofit actually doesn't get that much, you know, that much. Um, And I think it's it's a very effective way to look at major donors because it's essentially kind of a friend raiser. But I think for a business perspective, you're much, much better off look really looking very deeply at whatever portfolio and their funding and see where you fit or don't fit. Um, it really kind of breaks my heart. We get a lot of grant proposals from people who are w- doing w- the Lord's work in areas that we just don't fund. So businesses yep. tend to be, you know, unlike say family foundations or, um, they tend to be super, super focused and generally do not stray from their focus of giving, um, really much at all. Whereas you might have a, for a family foundation, someone would say, Oh, you know, it's important to Uncle Sally, or it's important to whomever, and it is an important cause. Therefore, we're going to give money. So let's say, let's assume then that you've figured out what the sweet spot is of Company A in New Jersey. Let's just, for argument's sake, right? Let's say, let's say it's a bank in New Jersey. You figured out what their sweet spot is, or sort of where, what communities they're located in. Maybe their sweet spot is is education or something like that. And you have some kind of program that falls in line there. Um, the obvious way that, that a nonprofit will go is to, to try to get that organization to buy a table at their event, which, right, that, which that road is, uh, it started to close when I was at GLAD in 2005. Um, so where does the company, in, in that situation, where does the company's funds come from and they're are they lo- they're looking for a relationship that's year round. And what is you know how do you find how do you what are they looking for? Well, the money comes from shareholder profits. Basically, you're it's basically from profits to the company. So you're basically giving money away instead of reinvesting in stock or reinvesting in any other aspect of the business. But they're not they're not actually it's not part of the marketing budget to say gee we are going to get connected with X Y or Z nonprofit. Um, and as a result of that, reach the target audience we feel is the growth market for us? Um, well, I, I can't speak for other companies. It doesn't come out of our marketing budget. Um, the, t- companies look at, at markets in a very long-term way. Um, and so the way that we approach uh, sort of issue-based work is also in a long-term way. So, you know, Avon, we've been doing breast cancer work for 15 years. Um, now, there's some people who say, well, breast cancer is an old woman's disease. You shouldn't do breast cancer. Well, it's actually true to our heritage. Evelyn Lauder um, recently passed away, uh, actually from ovarian cancer, but also had breast cancer. So it's true to our heritage and sort of who we are, our DNA, but we also realize that it's an important women's issue. We spend a lot of time with the marketing department trying to figure out basically how to leverage the money that we've given away 
But if they came in and said, oh, well, you know, we could leverage, you know, we're really looking for millennials. Millennials really care about animal rights. Let's do animal rights. There's always a push-pull. We just wouldn't switch that quickly. At least we wouldn't. Right. Um, and so that's what I'm saying in terms of the one-off grant proposal is not going to switch the direction of corporate giving. And that's where, you know, looking really deeply looking into the profile of the brand, where the giving fits in, where the cause fits in. Um, the other is, and we actually just launched here, we're super proud, we have a million-dollar matching gifts program here where we'll match the gifts of employees. So another way to raise money from a company is a matching gifts program. So I work here. If I give Glad 500 bucks, uh, uh, FD Lauder will match a dollar for dollar up to 5000 Right. Um, right. But I do think, you know, one of the things that used to really drive me crazy when I was at God's Love was there was always these discussions about the mysterious major donors or the mysterious donors. Like there were, they always reminded me of sort of a Woody Allen Greek chorus, like moving around. And somehow, <laughs> if we just knew the right people, we had the right development consultants, we would find that Greek chorus. Well, the good and the bad news to me is that Greek chorus doesn't exist. Um, I think that in terms of individual donors, that's really about having people on your board that give, that can basically have their friends give as well. Um, but I think in terms of corporate giving, it is a much longer-term um, endeavor. One great way to get corporate folks involved in your charity is to invite them to experience your work volunteer. Yes. Everybody's always looking for volunteer uh, opportunities, um, but you have to have a real volunteer. You know, it can't be sort of stuffing envelopes. But if you're a real volunteer effort or something they can witness or experience, I think that's a great way to introduce people without immediately asking for money. Because the other thing is that for better or for worse, people who give money away are inundated with requests. And it makes people, I think, it's, it's dangerous because it kind of keeps you farther away from the work. But it makes you have to have such a tight sort of um, – you basically say no to almost 99% of everything. And so to get in that 1%, um, I think you're better off as a, as a nonprofit. Do not waste your time on the groups that look like you're nowhere near that 1%. You've got to be kind of arguably close to it. Um, so I don't know if that was helpful. That makes sense. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. We um, – you know – Certainly when I was at GLAD, we relied a lot on corporate sponsorship that came through events. Um, but we also started to realize that if you wanted year-round funding from a corporation, that you had to build a long-term relationship with them. And I think your point about bringing, making sure that the work comes to life for these corporate prospects is a really – um, a really good idea and important. It's actually, I spend a lot of time telling board members and executive directors that they have to bring the work to life for their board members and their major donors if they want to fully have them fully engaged in the work. Yeah, I know a lot of, and it's really lovely, but a lot of people who send me invitations like, you know, please come as our guest to our fundraising dinner. I honestly would much rather go watch a support group or in some way see, you know, whatever is the actual substance of the work or God's love volunteer in the kitchen, something more substantive to experience the work rather than going to another dinner. Yeah, right, right. I think that's, I think that's totally right. I, I just don't think that nonprofits are clear enough about the power of bringing their work to life for anybody as a stakeholder, whether it's a volunteer or a major donor or a corporate sponsor. Um, so when you were an executive director, you did have a pretty robust corporate sponsorship program, right? Um, we had a pretty – I mean, it was something when we were at Gaza that we really focused on. I mean, obviously – 
Well, that's not totally true. When I worked with prisoners living with AIDS, we did have Levi Strauss. I mean, there were some very gutsy funders, and actually to this day, one of my really best gurus is a woman who used to be the president of Levi Strauss. But I remember she wanted the president of the Levi Strauss Foundation to come visit former prisoners. It was like, wow. But I, in that moment, I sort of learned that that was a whole lot more, um, you know, the human storytelling power of that and the impactful is so much better than, you know, than going to a dinner. In terms of God's love, the way that we really raised our corporate giving was through the volunteer program, where we would basically have teams of volunteers and basically use it as a team building uh, activity to come into our kitchen. And not only it helped us create volunteers because people would stay on, but um, all companies are looking for volunteer activities. And that's why actually I think Habitat for Humanity is very successful raising corporate money or any of these efforts that create these efforts. Um, I mean, I think in fairness to most nonprofits, it's very hard to raise money from corporations. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of different beast. I don't know if it's any harder than major donor, but, but I do think that it's, it's a lot of work. Um, one, one thing I would advise is there are many companies like Starbucks that give locally. So the baristas in most Starbucks have local giving power. Whole Foods gives locally. I would say really look at your local businesses and ask to talk to the manager and see, you know, that's a way to start a relationship as well. Yeah, I have. And I have definitely seen that um, at Whole Foods um, <clears throat> here in New Jersey, supporting uh, big brothers and big sisters of Essex County, for example. And and I happen to know the CEO there and he just went to Whole Foods and started talking to the manager. And um, he did the same thing with a with a franchise of uh, beauty salons in Essex County. And so, um, you know, it really it really can, that kind of work can make a difference. And I just feel like so often, which is one of the reasons I wanted you to come on and sort of spend a few minutes with my listeners is that I think so often nonprofits just simply just say, gee, if I could only get them to buy a table at my dinner, it would make all the difference. And the bottom line is that most corporations are going to take one look at your invitation and they're going to ditch it. Um, do you have a sense in a healthy nonprofit? And I don't know if this is something you look at when you make fund funding decisions, sort of in a health, a healthy nonprofit, what percentage of the budget should come from corporate dollars? No, I mean, I look at, um, you know, I think the portfolio of nonprofits is a little bit like your 401k. I mean, I think you have to balance it out um, and, you know, over-reliance on events. Over-reliance on any one bucket, I think, is is really treacherous. Um, I, As I mentioned, I think that uh, you'll see the bigger the nonprofit grows, the more likely the, the corporate piece of the pie is to get bigger. Um, so I don't know if there's a target you know, if there's a, you know, if there's a sort of uh, special number. Um, right. I think that the level of sophistication of companies in terms of targeting their giving by issue is definitely on the rise. Um, one thing that you can certainly do is always write a letter complimenting a company if you like it. <laughs> Those letters are super helpful. Um, yeah, I also would say that, you know, one of the things about cause marketing, I mean, we don't do cause marketing, but we do sell a purpose-driven product is that, you know, it's a, it's a really cool form of sort of um, consumer activism. Like, you can really vote with your purchasing. So if you if you really admire a company, you should buy their stuff and, you know, write and go, because particularly Instagram and a lot of these um, social digital uh, platforms, people, we're, we are really looking at to see how we're doing, particularly with younger people. Um, so, I mean, what everyone is calling millennials, although I think basically what I would call gen over is underrated in terms of our caring. <laughs> I think we do generate generation next is what they call, uh, 
millennials were kind of gen over, but I feel like that people across the age groups care. Um, and there's a lot of emphasis on customer awareness and customer loyalty. So anyway, you can show loyalty, whether it be by buying a product. Um, I, for instance, am a big fan of Ann Taylor uh, because of their giving. And so I go in the store, not necessarily to buy anything, but I just talk to the people behind the counter. I just say, you know, it's really great that what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, we listen to that sort of stuff, and it makes a difference, particularly consumer companies. But I would say that for smaller nonprofits, they should stay local and stick with the grassroots. Banks, yeah, I think that's right. Whole Foods, Starbucks. I mean, I would say anything under a couple of million bucks, I would forget the corporate giving. Um, it's just not It's not going to, you know, the, the sort of gain degree for ratio on that is not going to level out. I think when you get bigger than that, um, then I think it, it, you know, you can start to groom either, mostly probably through board members to gain introductions. Um, although I personally have had situations where I wanted to, you know, to get money from a certain company and I put somebody on my board and that individual was actually not a good match for my board. So it ended up being not worth the $35,000 grant. I've totally seen, I've seen that on numerous occasions where, um, there's a put on the board that's a corporate put on the board and it comes with dollars, but that person doesn't add real value to the, you know, sort of the whole gestalt of the board. Right, right. right. The um so I, I just two more questions, um, a corporate sponsorship ask that you made, um, that was creative, uh, and or just really successful that you were really proud of, and can it tease it out for listeners? Um, one thing that we were able to do at God's Love is sometimes you can also get uh, gifts in, you know, in kind gifts. So for instance, we rebranded when I was at God's Love, we expanded our mission beyond HIV, also include cancer. And we had a couple of media companies donate outdoor space. Um, and uh, Rudy Giuliani, who then was no longer mayor, but had a private uh, company donated his voice for a voiceover. So the other thing to remember is, if, again, if you're smaller, you can ask people for in-kind donations rather than actual cash. And oftentimes, um, their sort of business coaching relative to that donation and the actual donation is worth more than, than, so I got more outdoor space than I ever would have been able to pay for $35,000. Yeah, that's, that's totally right. That's totally right. And I think, you know, the, the end of the day, and I think, you know, nonprofits are more aware of it is, you know, a lot of all of this is branding, whether it be branding yourself as a leader or branding your nonprofit or branding the company. And you have to really kind of think is how does our brand fit in with their brand? Um, and how do they, they both accelerate each other and leverage each other? Um, because I think the feeling, you know, that what I always call the warm and fuzzy feeling is that's really not our job in corporate philanthropy is not the warm, fuzzy feeling. The good work is assumed the, that what is um, our job is to basically figure out a cause that um, hopefully, you know, your nonprofit is part of, but it might not be part of that will allow us to better convey to our consumers what our values are and to our employees. You know, if you look at the latest data, uh, most companies are most focused on showing their employees that they matter and that their issues matter to the company. So you'll see a lot of internal marketing as well. It's a sort of old form of EAP, you know, where United Way used to come and give like heart attack talks. Um, you know, oh, EAP, Employee yeah, Assistance yeah. Programs. And those, those are actually super useful. If there's a local nonprofit that's going to come talk to us, you know, I run a family employee resource group that's going to talk to us about bullying or cyberbullying. You know, again, what, what, what can you offer the nonprofit? So lead with that. Don't lead with, can you give me $35,000? What can you, you mean, what can you offer the company? Right. 
Yes. What can you offer the company? To dimensionalize right? is, and make real. That is, right. What, what can you offer? Right. What is, what can you offer the company that's on mission for you and adds value and is on brand for the company, right? Absolutely. So I'm going to assume, so we are just about out of time, and I'm going to assume two things. I'm going to assume that listeners took a lot of notes. I'm also assuming that listeners would love your contact information, and that's just not happening today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the problem is that when I give it out, most of the answers are no. I mean, I think that they can certainly go to the FD Lauder Company's website, and you you know my email is on LinkedIn. It's nman at fd.com. But if the, the, the sad part of my life at this point is I don't have a ton of time to counsel people on careers. I do think the whole area that I'm in is a super, super interesting field. I seem to have, like, lucked into it, so I don't really have any <laughs> great career advice. Um, but I do think we, we need a lot of really smart people in this space. So if people want to reach out, I may, you know, if people want to talk, I may have an answer, but you might be better off talking to somebody who works with me. So I'm glad to help out. Um, and, you know, I'm a... I'm a, I still think of myself as an expat from the NGO world, so I'm glad to be. I'm glad to have a phone home. Well, and I, and it's actually um, just such an interesting role that you found yourself, where you get to use all those corporate jargon phrases like you've used, and you also run a nonprofit in the Mac AIDS Fund. It's kind of I don't know anyone else who has a job quite like yours, so um, I don't know if that makes you. Um, a uh, unicorn or unusual <laughs> yeah right unusual lucky or both right well i'm blessed how about we'll go with that we'll go with that and on that note we're gonna we're gonna uh, let you go and, all right um, congratulations on all your good work thanks, this is terrific and thanks very much for your insights nonprofits are messy is a service of joan gary consulting widely known as the nonprofit dear abby Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.